Welcome to Men's Alliance Ambassador Training, designed to give us the information and the tactics so that we can better represent Christ to our family and friends. Hey, this is David Mills, and I'm here today with part three of our ambassador training to become better ambassadors for Christ. So in our first part, just a quick recap, we talked about relativism, which says there is no truth. You have yours. I have mine. We talked about pluralism, says all paths lead to the same destination. We're all worshiping God just by different names. And scientism that says only science can produce truth. And so we just talked about in our first episode of Ambassador Training how all three of those are logically self-defeating. If you missed that, please go back and start there. Listen to Ambassador Training Part 1. And then in Ambassador Training Part 2, so important, we covered what do Christians believe, right? What are the essentials? that a person must believe in order to be called a Christian. By definition, what is a Christian? What are the core essential distilled down to the bare minimum beliefs, right? There's a lot of stuff Christians believe, but is that necessary? For example, do I have to believe um, the story of, say, Noah and the ark or Jonah and and the fish? Do I have to believe, this is the big one, in a young earth? Do I have to believe in order to be a Christian that the earth is about 6,000 years old? What if I believe that the earth is about 14 or the universe rather is about 14 billion years old? Can I still be a Christian? We really hit on this one in part two. So go back and listen to that if you haven't yet, but it is entirely possible to not believe in a literal seven-day creation and still be a Christian. And that ruffles some people, but it's absolutely true. We do not have to all agree on every aspect. So please go back and listen to number two of Ambassador Training to find out what is the essential for Christianity. Now, today we're going to hit on who made God? This is a common question and wrapped up in that question itself. The question who made God wrapped up in that question is a misunderstanding of God. So you can't dive into answering that question until you first back up and define what everyone is talking about. We have to define our terms because clearly there's a misunderstanding Um, of what God is, if you're even asking that. So that's where we're going to go today. And then we're going to learn how to answer that. And then we're going to learn how to take your answer to that question to the next step and actually offer the person an argument for the existence of God. So we're going to go over a very ancient, classic argument for the existence of God called the Kalam cosmological argument. So That's where we've come from in the past two episodes, and that's where we're headed today. So with that, let's dive in to our question for today of who made God. So um, throughout this series of ambassador training, I'm going to be offering you tactics, okay? So last episode, 
I gave you tactic number one. And we're going to call tactic number one, we're going to label it, don't take the Old Testament bait. All right? When somebody brings up, oh, you're a Christian, so you believe that we can't uh, wear two different types of fabrics. Our clothing can't be made of two different types of fabric. Um, oh, you're a Christian, so you believe that we have to uh, trim our beards a certain way or you can't eat shellfish. Any of these, if you haven't heard these, I apologize for how ludicrous they must sound to you for the first time, but trust me, these are actual comments that people make. They're all references to Old Testament Jewish laws. And so last week, we learned tactic number one, don't take the Old Testament bait. If someone invokes any of these arguments, beards, shellfish, fabrics of clothing, even uh, 6,000-year-old earth, um, any of these type of things, you don't have to engage them and try to win um, that topic's debate, right? I would highly recommend you to sidestep it altogether um, and just move towards Christianity, which of course does not hinge on anything in the Old Testament, but rather it is this message of Jesus. So you can either become an expert on Old Testament law and um, cosmology and the creation of the universe, or you can just become an expert on the New Testament and sidestep the old. So go back and listen to part two of Ambassador Training if what I just said brings up more questions in your mind than it answers. But tactic one was don't take the Old Testament bait. Tactic two for today, and this comes from Greg Kokel and his book called Tactics that I cannot recommend highly enough. Okay, you have to read Tactics by Greg Kokel. And you need to read it a couple times. Make sure you get the uh, the new edition. It has a lot of extra chapters in the new edition. So if you read it a long time ago, maybe it's time to reread it. But anyway, this tactic comes from Greg Kokel. And you need to ask the question, what do you mean by that? Or what do you mean by God? Or what do you mean by Christian? Right? If someone says, do you believe in God? Tactic would be, what do you mean by God? Somebody says, are you a Christian? The tactic would be, what do you mean by a Christian? Okay, what this does is um, it makes sure we're both operating on the same page, okay? And it keeps us from signing up for something um, that we haven't read the fine print on, agreeing to something that we didn't know that person's definition, right? So you might have in your mind an idea of what Christian is, they might have a very different one. They might think that a Christian is a person who's trying to be good and who doesn't like homosexuals. And if you said, yes, I'm a Christian, then you just signed up for that thing in their mind, right? So that's a good example of why we want to say, well, what do you mean by a Christian? And then it gives us a chance to clear up the definition. Oh, no, I'm not that. Um, a Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's what I am. Let me explain that to you more right? You could go like that. Or as we're going to talk about it today, if they say, who made God? We would use this tactical question and say, well, what do you mean by God? Okay. Because if you're asking who made God, your definition is obviously different from that of a, um, 
a fundamental Christian or someone with a, uh, a basic knowledge of Christian doctrine. So before you dive right in to just answering their question, sit back, relax, take a deep breath, take a sip of your coffee and respond by asking them a question. Okay. This is a great tactic for several reasons. Um, one of which is it gives you a second to think. And another is that it puts the ball back in their court. And another is that it keeps us from discussing two different things. So starting off our conversation, learning how to answer the question, who made God, we want to start off with our tactical question. What do you mean by God? Okay. So enough on that. All right. Now, if you are asked who made God, okay. Um, you might be thinking that this is a silly question. Um, again, I promise you this one is gaining a lot of traction. If you listen to the debate between it's um, John Lennox and Richard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, very famous published um, P professor, PhD atheist that I'm sure you've heard of. He asks this question in a debate. To John Lennox. Um, great, great debate. If you want to go watch it on YouTube, um, John Lennox just crushes him and knocks this out of the park. So I say that to say, this is a question that they are asking. Um, even uh, very intellectual people are asking this question and they think it's a gotcha, right? Oh, you think God is eternal? Well, who made God? Okay. So first of all, we want to make sure of our definition. So when they say, when you say, what do you mean by God? If they're saying something like, oh, you know, the, um, you know, the man with the long white beard who sits on a cloud, plays a harp all day and judges everyone. Um, whoa, 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 well, hold on. First of all, I don't believe in that type of a God. So I don't need to explain who made something that I don't believe in, in the first place, which it's funny because they don't believe in that type of a God, right? They're probably an atheist. They don't believe in that type of God. You don't believe in that type of a God. So literally no one in that conversation believes in a created God, which by the way is how John Lennox responds. He was like, listen, Richard, you don't believe in a created God. I don't believe in a created God. So no one on this stage believes in a created God. So why are you even asking me about that? Okay. So what we want to do is make sure we're all talking about the same God. Okay. So this gives us a great chance to explain it. Listen, what I mean when I talk about God as a Christian who believes in God, I am simply talking about, and this is, you know, I'm giving you words here that you can use. I am talking about an eternal, immaterial, powerful being that caused the universe to come into existence out of nothing. Right now, Aristotle, he reasoned that there must be an unmoved mover or, quote, an uncaused first cause. OK, a big bang requires a big banger. Something had to cause the universe to come into existence. OK, so this is a great conversation to have with a person because most people have just simply never thought this through. But here's the most important part that I want to convey to someone if I'm having this discussion with them about who made God. Listen, 
whatever it was that created space, time, and matter, it had to be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, right? It couldn't be made of the things that it created, logically, right? So Einstein gave us the, the uh, fact that space, time, and matter all came into existence at once, right? They're all related. Um, so some event, some bang caused space, time, and matter to come into existence. Um, and so whatever that thing was, it had to be outside of space, time, and matter itself. So it had to be conscious in order to decide to create. It had to be personal in order to create relationships. It had to be loving in order to give us a need and capacity for love. So whatever this all-powerful, eternal, loving, personal, conscious thing is that created the universe and everything in it is what we call God. He has no beginning. He is outside of time, right? In the same way that an author is outside of the book they are writing, God is outside of the time, right? And as a side note here, if anyone questions why we use the pronouns he and him for God, it is simply because that is God's preferred pronoun. God chose it for himself in his book, not us. We didn't come up with that. He did. And after all, we should respect a person's preferred pronoun, right? So no one made God. God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. And I know that is super difficult for all of us humans to comprehend. But hey, if God could be fully understood by mere mortals like us, then he wouldn't really be much of a God, would he? So there you have how I would respond to the question, who made God? I would start off by saying, well, what do you mean by God? And then I would explain that whatever created the universe, whatever caused the universe to come into existence had to be outside space, time, and matter. So God had to be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, and all-powerful. And whatever that force was that caused the universe to come into existence, that is what we mean by God. No beginning, no creator. So now this leads us into the opportunity to give them the Kalam cosmological argument for the existence of God, as it is known. Kalam is an Arabic term. This is a classic argument for the existence of a God, not necessarily the Christian God, but it is the argument for the existence of a creator, right? And it was first created by Muslims. And that is where the Kalam part comes from. Um, in the most recent century, it was revived by William Lane Craig. And it has become known as the Kalam cosmological argument for the existence of God. Now, you don't have to know all that. It's not super important. Just giving you a little background on this. But when somebody's asking about who made God and you're having this discussion about the creator of the universe, um, being spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, this is a good time and place to maybe know this and be prepared to use it. So you can ask the person. I'm just curious, have you ever heard of the, the uh, excuse me, the cosmological argument for the existence of God? Just ask them that question. They're likely to say no, but maybe they have heard of it. 
and maybe it'll be a good jumping off point for you and them to have a discussion. But let me give this to you plainly. Here is the Kalam cosmological argument for the existence of God, and then we'll talk about it. So it's made of two premises and a conclusion. First premise is whatever begins to exist has a cause. Okay, pretty straightforward. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Second premise, the universe began to exist. And the conclusion, therefore, the universe has a cause. Very simple, very straightforward argument for the existence of a God. So let's look at the first premise. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Now notice the wording in that is very precise. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Okay, that pretty much uh, covers every single thing except for God. Okay, so God did not begin to exist. That's why God does not have a cause. God has always existed. Therefore, he does not need a cause. But everything else has begun to exist. Okay, now, second, when the universe began to exist, right? So we know this basically um, through two works, right? The um, Albert Einstein theory of relativity, space, time, matter, all came into existence at once. But then shortly, a few years after that, Edwin Hubble in 1929 established that the universe was expanding and thus had a beginning, right? And based on the rate of expansion of the universe, among other things, such as the uh, speed of light and the distance of visible stars, it is estimated, of course, that the universe began to exist approximately 14 billion years ago. Now, you don't need to believe this. <clears throat> I'm just telling you what um, Edwin Hubble discovered in 1929 and what is largely accepted by the Big Bang cosmology community. Okay? doesn't matter when you think it began to exist. The point is it did begin to exist. It's not eternal. The idea of an eternal, uncaused universe is completely debunked, okay? It goes against science that demonstrates it had a beginning in what is, you know, colloquially known as a bang, right? God spoke and bang, it came into creation. There was a singularity. There was a moment when there was nothing except for God, and then there was a moment where things began to exist. So whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. And as I just explained, there's nobody um, able to argue that the universe is eternal. Therefore, the universe has a cause. So this is a great little argument to help them understand that something had to cause the universe to exist. Something had to cause that big bang. Okay. And you know, when people try to argue, well, um, maybe it was caused by um, some, some goo, some primordial soup flowing around. Okay, well, where did that come from? Where did that come from, right? And you just keep going back. Oh, well, maybe some, um, some electricity. And so, okay, where did the electricity come from, right? Here's the thing. If there was ever, ever a time when nothing existed, then nothing would exist today. Think about that. There has to have always been something. Christians say it was God. He's the something. He's the eternal thing. 
atheists they have they have nothing they don't know um if you ask them enough and then what created that and then what created that and then what created that you're going to come to a point where they have no idea they will throw up their hands and say we don't know we just don't know science does not know and they're correct right outside of god there is no other possible answer so we believe as christians in an eternal uncaused first cause an eternal uncreated god who has always been and who spoke the universe into existence now here's the thing that most atheists have never considered to not believe in god to not believe in a creator is to require a belief in the biggest miracle ever so this is very ironic because a lot of atheists um, scoff at miracles and they don't want to believe in miracles and they consider themselves to be highly scientific and they scoff at the miracles in the Bible. But do they realize they are believing in a miracle much, much bigger than any miracle recorded in the Bible? This is a great question to ask them, right? If you don't believe in God, then you are believing in a bigger miracle than anything recorded in the Bible. You are believing that the entire universe came into existence from nothing. Wow, that's an incredible miracle. And honestly, I just don't have enough faith to be that kind of an atheist, right? To steal the, the line there from Frank Turek. I don't have that kind of blind faith to believe something for which there is no evidence. Because nothing has never produced something. So they're having to believe that the entire universe came out of nothing. Boy, you think the virgin birth is a difficult miracle to believe. That's nothing. They're believing in the virgin birth of an entire universe with no cause and no creator. So we all believe that something caused the universe to exist. Christians say it was God. Atheists say uh, nothing caused it, right? Or uh, Dawkins and even... Um, the late Stephen Hawking, have all posited that it could have possibly been aliens, right? Aliens. Maybe aliens caused the universe to exist. They will allow that, but not God, which of course begs the question, who created the aliens and where did those come from? So they're, they're getting themselves into a situation here of an infinite regress of just kicking the can backwards down the road. They have no explanation for it. So here's what we want to keep in mind, right? So we've covered who made God. We've gone over the Kalam cosmological argument for the existence of a God. But I want to just end with this point, okay? People don't reject God because of a lack of evidence, okay? We can give them all the evidence. We can talk about space, time, and matter, and 1929, and Edwin Hubble, and the expansion of the universe, and Aristotle's uncaused first cause. We can give them all this stuff. At the end of the day, they are willing to accept the greatest miracle with no evidence for it, that the entire universe came out of nothing. They're willing to accept that for one reason. Because if they admit that there is a God, then that would mean that they are accountable to something. If they have to admit that there is a creator, that there is a God, then that means they're not in charge, right? So people reject God because they know he will interfere with their 
sexual misconduct. And people want to be able to do whatever they want to do without any accountability to a higher power. So since they can't admit that at a party, since they can't admit, I don't want there to be a God because then I wouldn't be able to keep up these, uh, you know, behaviors that I know are immoral. They have to conjure up some new reason, something that sounds a little better at parties. So they're going to say it's because of a lack of evidence. So Romans chapter one tells us that there are no atheists, right? Romans chapter one tells us every single person knows in their heart that there is a God. So people suppress the truth out of unrighteousness, right? Because of their sinful desires, the unrighteousness in their hearts, they are suppressing the truth so that they can live however they want. And then they are pretending that there's a lack of evidence when really they have their eyes closed to the mountains of evidence, right? And remember this, atheists have more blind faith than Christians because they are willing to believe that everything, hummingbirds, whales, uh, eagles, humans, all came into existence out of nothing. That these things all came from nothing. There was nothing and then there was something, right? So they have more blind faith than Christians, right? So we will wrap it up there today. I'm going to dive in next time to another line of arguing for the existence of a God. Right, we're going to talk about the design argument. I'm going to talk about DNA, and we're just going to keep going from there. And then we're going to get into how to respond to some of the toughest questions that your kids can ask. So, guys, it's um, it, it's just a fascinating topic that we all need to be studying. We need to be reading up on. We need to be better, bolder ambassadors. We need to have these answers. We need to be able to be sheepdogs in our families to protect our kids from the wolves that they will encounter out there. So just remember this, you might not have all the answers. That's okay. Nobody does, but you need to know where to go to find them, right? So start having these conversations with your kids, start asking questions, and we'll see you guys next time when we do part four of ambassador training. Thanks for listening to men's Alliance ambassador training. Where our goal is to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that we have, but to do this with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15